You are listening to the Senior Pastor Podcast, where four giants of the Restoration Movement walk us through the issues facing the church today. Your four hosts are Bob Russell, Don Wilson, Ken Eidelman, and Scott Rawlings. Before we begin, a word from our sponsor. With more than 7,000 investors, the Solomon Foundation is committed to helping the local church grow. When you partner with the Solomon Foundation, you get an excellent return while making an eternal impact. Start today at www.thesolomonfoundation.org. Welcome to the Senior Pastor Podcast. My name is Matt Rawlings, teaching pastor at Christ Community Church, and I am joined by three-fourths of the gang today. Bob Russell, founding pastor of Southeast Christian Church and the head of Bob Russell Ministries. Ken Eidelman, the former president of Ozark Christian College and senior pastor of the Crossroads Christian Church for many years, and Scott Rawlings, the founding pastor of Christ Community Church. Gentlemen, and, and I want to start with you, Bob, because I'm going to pick on you because you've written a book on this that I have at home and I've read of things you do different looking back on ministry. Now, you've got, I believe, seven things in that book, you know, that you outline. What stands out to you today? Looking back, what would you have done differently? Yeah, there are a lot of things, but when I first came to Southeast, I was 22 years old, and I knew I was way out of my league. Mm. I mean, I grew up in the country, this church in the city. I had a BA degree. This church is full of people with PhDs. I'm from a small church. This church has potential to get large. So I was so focused on ministry. I knew I was going to have to work hard to succeed that I neglected my wife. Mm. And not just time, but attention. Yeah. Energy. Possible to be home and still distracted. Home and not home. And yeah. I, I would take her to church and forget about her until it's time. To, I, after church, sometimes I would ask her to wait in the car till I counseled somebody. I am so thankful for a good wife who was patient with me. Yeah. And, but she would later confess she was lonely at times because I would be out at night calling. And when I was home, I wasn't home. Yeah. And uh, talk all day long and come home. I want to veg out at home. Right. I would like to go back and not be so uptight about ministry. Mm. I'm going to be a more effective servant of Christ if I'm joyful and right. relaxed than if I am, if I'm so consumed with it's my performance is going to determine the success of this church. I think preachers ought to work. Yeah. And I think that we, we not, have to study and, and, and give attention to the church. But the primary sheep in our fold our own family members, Mm -hmm. our wife and our kids. And I became, after a few years, I I woke up and I became a much more attentive husband and a much more focused father. You know, Ben Merrill, whom we all admire from the past, said he pounded a nail in the door of every house we ever lived between the garage and the house. People thought it was to hang a hat. He said, that's where I symbolically hung all the junk Mm. that happened during the day so I could give attention to my wife and family. My wife and I always had a good marriage, but when I laughed more and joked more with her and listened better and uh, gave her more attention, it stepped our marriage up a notch. And that's one one regret I have, that there were a number of years I think I neglected my wife. Mm. Ken, what about you? Well, I could relate to that one. Um, 
When I became uh, president of Ozark, I was under 30 years old with a young family. Of course, when you're the president of a Christian college, you've, you've got to be out and about because if you're not out in the churches, they, they say, who is he? We don't know him. There were times when I was uh, way too invested there and not enough mm-hmm. invested at home. Like Bob, I had a wife who stepped up to the plate and covered for me and, and was patient and long-suffering, and that's one of the reasons why I want to make these years her years. I, I told her, this is going back about seven years, I, actually when we moved here, I said, I'm going to give you the husband that you've always deserved mm. in this season, and uh, and she's holding me to that, and that's okay. Did she find out she really didn't like you? <laughs> <laughs> I was afraid of that. But <laughs> it makes you a little nervous, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. It's high-risk behavior. I, I, think, uh, uh, I think another thing that I would do differently is I would drill deeply and not be as worried about irrigating widely. I mm-hmm. think when I was younger, I wanted to irrigate widely. And what I, I should have done was uh, was drill deeply. And uh, so I would put more of an accent over drilling deeply rather than irrigating widely. I'd mm. characterize it with that metaphor. Right. Dad, what about you? Well, I'm glad I didn't say to Alice Kay what he said to his wife. <laughs> She'd still be looking for somebody. <laughs> I'd, I'd be in a heap of trouble. Yeah, I was pretty much the perfect husband, so I don't need to go into that. Now, I was there, so uh, <laughs> yeah. I'll call you a hostile witness here in a second. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah. In defense of what Bob and Ken have said and what I certainly did, too, the truth of the matter is, at the time, we did what we thought we were right in service of the king. We did that. And looking back, I think that we were somewhat misdirected. I, I'll agree I think that. our predecessors in, in ministry they focused that way. That. I remember, I could call his name, a famous minister of movement who had a son who played high school football. He boasted he never saw him play a game because he was wed to the church. And, and we were told, you know, it's better to burn out than to some other. I mean, there were lots of that stuff going on, at least when I grew up and you know, about the only person that ever would calm me down and look me straight in the face, old Joe Dampier. He, he was a, a gruffy old guy. Mm-hmm. He was notorious for, for saying interesting things at the North American. He was he was given a speech one time, <laughs> I never will forget it, on the unity of the restoration movement. He said, you know, there's three distinct arms of the restoration. And he had this real deep voice and a belly that hung over his belt like you couldn't believe. And and his sermon boiled down to this on, he said, there's the, you know, the disciples of Christ, they're the non-instrumental brethren, and then there are independent churches, there are the three wings mm-hmm. of the restoration movement. He said, I never saw a chicken with three wings that didn't do anything other than flop around a lot. You, know? <laughs> <laughs> you remember stuff like that. Well, he was the old guy that would come by when I was a youth minister at, under, under Brother Smith at Columbus, Indiana. And he was a recruiter at Milligan College for students. And his wife had died. He and I had an agreement. He could use me as an excuse to come up into Indiana because he had a girlfriend over there. Ben Merrill's grandson is a, is a preacher now. And so he, he spent a lot of time <laughs> with me. But anyway, what would I do differently? This would be radical. But I, I'll, and, and kind of in line with what Dr. Mulder said this morning about mega churches that we've all either aspired to have or right. already have had, 
On Saturday night at church, about once a month, after church is over, we have dinner, have supper. And I look, and, and so we come into the room there, and everybody eats and sits, and they talk, and they visit, and they da 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 And I get thinking of how the church started in the book of Acts most of the time. At least you look in the 20th chapter of Acts, they, they met at night often, and I think more often than not, because some of the new converts were uh, slaves who had to work all day long, and they would probably have a little carry-in supper from what you read there in the book of Corinthians, and they'd sit and they'd eat together. Acts 2.42 is kind of spelled out around a table where people are sitting there sharing. The, sometimes they didn't have a preacher, so somebody would read the scripture because most of them couldn't read and write. Uh, that was Timothy's job. Anyway, I watched that on Saturday night. They all come together, and I've really been tempted. I think I mentioned it to you, Matthew. I've been tempted to wait to have communion at those tables after church around the table with a different guy assigned to handle the elements and to have the prayer and so on and so forth. Because the koinonia, because see what we what is missing in small groups have tried to help it. That was the good intention of it. But the koinonia, that sharing of uh, in a in a non-threatening atmosphere where we can share our very lives, kind of what we're doing here at the table, I think is is a desperate need for the lonely people in our culture today. We had a reunion a year or two ago of all the people who had been in our first building. And I watched these people or so came, and I thought, these people are so close. What, what made these people close? What common denominator made them close? I finally concluded the one common denominator was Sunday night church. And it wasn't the sermon. It wasn't the words of service. What happened before church and what happened after church? This became the core body of the church. And they came Sunday night for the fellowship, and they got to know each other. And I think one of the things missing, I, would, I don't want to go back to Sunday night church, but we need to find some way where that core body of the church can get together and there can be a blending of soul to soul. Yeah, we can fast their faults one to another and pray for one another and unload, let somebody puke in your pocket once in a while and get it out of their system. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a healthy thing for the body of Christ. It really is. And I've seen that around those tables. Mm -hmm. And the joy of the Lord just bubbles up here and there and everywhere. And if a stranger comes in, they don't want to go Sunday morning anymore. They want to come on Saturday night and eat with us. And the food's not really that good, but the fellowship is magnificent, you know. Well, that is one of the things I would do differently if I were starting in, in ministry, starting over again. I would do more of the master plan of evangelism. I would find four to six to a dozen men and I would really invest myself in them the way you've described doing life together and really drilling down deep with a core of men whether they were the elders of the church or or hand-picked people that you wanted to invest in you saw leadership potential in I think that dis discipling of leaders that Jesus did with the 12 uh, is a model for how to build the church from from the inside out I think the church that really practices, and this, and I've just come to this in the last few years when I've seen we've gone through some real heartaches and we've seen some changes take place, some of which, and I agree with, I, I, you know, the church today may, the Lord may purposely be the wheat and the chaff. It may Pruning some, a bit. There's something going on here. And to say that I know what it is, I wish I did, but I don't. But I have seen what I saw there, what I'm seeing now on a Saturday night 
and uh, with those folks there, give me hope for the future. And and one of the sad things that has happened are the little rural churches out, like the one I grew up right. in, Germantown. You know, you can spit over Germantown, the winds to your back, and that little town there. And but there was warm, wonderful fellowship. Even when I went to Bible college, I would get little notes with a five-dollar bill. Well, that's like hitting the lottery then. And uh, from Mr. Pepper, who had a funeral director, he was a funeral director there, or Hubert Kearns, or or one of the old elders of the church, just to just to encourage you along. You you find that hard to find now, and and I think there is a degree of loneliness and emptiness in our soul that can be filled with genuine loving fellowship. And you wonder how much that's been exacerbated by COVID and the lockdowns and and, and, and people addicted to their phones, just constantly looking at their iPhones instead of dealing with other people. And yeah, I wonder how that, I, I look back and the healthiest when I started to help uh, three other guys start a church plant back in 2008. The healthiest that church was, and it was, you know, it attracted the demographic that, you know, everybody seems to kind of drool over the, you know, 18 to 25 year olds and so forth. That's several hundred of these 18 to 25 year olds. But the healthiest we ever were was after, and you may remember this, Megan, because I think you were there for one or two of these. We would go to a restaurant in town because it was the only restaurant that had a table big enough because the entire core group would go out to dinner after service. And we, we'd sometimes have four 40 people all at the same table after table after table. And we'd spend two hours just sitting there talking and we became closer than any group I've ever seen. Two uh, pieces of bad counsel. Number one, put the church ahead of your family. Mm -hmm. Bad counsel. Second piece of bad counsel is don't have primary friendships in the church. Don't, don't cultivate friendships in the church. That's bad counsel. Yep. This generation, I think, has turned that around in a good way and uh, in a healthy way. I think there's more of a conscience about developing personal friendships with your, your leaders versus seeing them as limiting or adversarial. Yeah, I think that, and we'll wrap up here in a minute, but I, I remember Dad told me this piece of advice years ago. Typically, I don't listen to a thing he says, but he said when he said this, I listened, and he had a friend up until Bill Lewis died, 2006, around there, 2005 or six, and he was a teacher at the church. He was leader of the, in the church, PhD engineer, and he came to Dad early on, and he said, your problems will be my problems, and I will take them to heaven with me. And he kept that promise. You know, we ask about what we would do the, differently. Also, we don't think about what I'd do the same. Yes. And one of the things I'd do the same is I would cultivate a friendship with elders. Yeah. That I was always blessed with good elders, but there were some elders that I didn't have a, a, a blending of personalities. Right. But I, I think a, a young, younger preachers would do well to have a friendship with their elders. If the only time you see these guys in a meeting, you're seeing them at their worst. Yes, yes, but amen. But if, if you go to a ball game with them or you have them in your home or you go fishing or golfing yeah. with them, then whenever they may disagree with you in a meeting, you know their heart and they know your heart. And it really was an asset to me to have good elders and to be friends with elders. Yeah. And I amen that. You know, I, when I was in graduate school at Vanderbilt, we had a little church in Nebo that had come in on the weekend. I was there in the summer. And the chairman of the elders, and our first youngin came along. I was kept having them babies. And anyway, this was the first <laughs> one that came along. And we would come home from Nashville, and we were broke. 
and and when we go in the house, there would be a note on the refrigerator that said, you know, come out to our house and for supper, and there would be a thing of milk in there for the baby. And the interesting thing, you never forget, and their last name was Brooks, but his name was Hazel, and he was a hunter. We we hunted a lot mm-hmm. together. And I'm not going to go beyond that, but his, his <laughs> wife had a man, man's name. <laughs> you never <laughs> forgot him. And, but, and, and they stayed in touch with us for a long, long time. Yeah. They were the sweetest people, and, and we couldn't have made it without them. I mean, they, they were there, and he was an auctioneer and well-known all over the county, but they're, they're, we just had four elders in that little church, and they just treated me like I belonged to them. You know, I was part of their family. You miss that yes. when the church gets to be a thousand or two thousand. You miss that. Yeah, I think you got to remember to sow what you want to reap. Yeah, when it comes to to this kind of thing, you know, if you want to be encouraged, you be an encourager. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, today it's so easy to communicate. I mean, I can send a text message to one of our leaders in the church that I've hear, hear something good about them or from them, and I just send them a word of encouragement. And you don't want to be superficial with it or sloppy with it. It's always the same kind of thing every time. But some kind of substantive word of encouragement. And it's it's interesting. You know, I'm, I'm thinking of our listeners right now, guys who want to be encouraged in their ministry by others, and they want to be affirmed. Be an affirming person. Be an encourager. You sow what you want to reap. Yeah. I saw that demonstrated here in Uganda because we were just got back from there. And this old guy I told you about, Alex Metalla, he had one of the kids, young men there, he's probably 22 or 3, preaching because they have a church service there. At There's 2,500 kids there at that school and orphanage. And he had this kid preach, and I, I, I listened to him. That's, that was the most pitiful presentation you ever heard in your life. <laughs> But Alex sat down with him and said, you know, that personal illustration you told just really did the job. Everybody started listening. I know that kid can't wait till he preaches again, but I sure hope he gets better. But that encouragement you know, <laughs> was, was so obvious. Yeah. And it's so desperately needed. It really is desperately needed. It is. The, it, it's a reminder. I want to tell people who are listening, because the average church, mainly pastors listen to this. Average church in America is 60 to 80 people. And I will tell you this, I've worked in church plants that grew, I've worked in a large church, and I've worked for, I worked for three years. My first, you know, ministry, preaching ministry was in a small church in upstate New York, 80 people, maybe. Non-instrumental Church of Christ in Ithaca, New York, and the Ithaca Church of Christ. And I preached there for three years, and I, I want to tell preachers out there, yes, we want to grow the church because we want to make disciples. We, we've got to get back to evangelism. Yes, we do. But don't overlook the joy that can come from such a small community where people look after one another and take care of one another. I was, I would go to my, one of my elders' homes every week for dinner, every week. And freebie is good, but, and they were good cooks though too. And so they were all farmers in upstate New York. It reminds me of one of the best stories I ever heard. The late Fred Craddock, who was a disciple of Christ, minister told the story where his first ministry. And he said that uh, they had a, practice of baptizing people in a nearby lake on Easter Sunday. And so they, they would go out there. It'd be Sunday evening when they do the baptisms. He'd put his waders on. He was, Dr. Craddock was all five foot four, so his waders probably barely fit. He'd go out there and he'd baptize the folks. They baptized a couple people and they came back in. They had a big fire. And so you've got about 40, 50 people sitting around this fire. And the people who were baptized, they put a blanket around them 
And everybody in that circle from that church introduced themselves. I'm such and such. If you ever need your car worked on, I'll do it for you. I'm such and such. If you ever need your clothes stitched, just drop on by. You don't have to. This is what they said to new people. Just go all around. This is what I can do for you. This is what I can do for you. And Dr. Craddock said he just sat there. One of the elders got up, started kicking sand on the fire, and said, it's time to go home. It's getting late. People started to leave. Craddock just sat there. And the elder looked at him and said, preacher, that's all I called him, people don't get closer than this. By the way, I will tell you her name. It was Douglas. I just couldn't think of it. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad the listeners. Hazel, Hazel and Douglas. Yeah. He was Hazel. She was Douglas. I'm glad. I'm glad the listeners have that information now. That's invaluable. I'll tell you what. There's the nicest people you'll ever. Meet. Yeah. Our our objective needs to be church health. Yes. And healthy things grow. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, folks, thanks for listening to the Senior Pastor Podcast. Lord willing, we'll be back again with Dr. Don Wilson. If we can get his calendar straight, we'll get him here. And so until that time, I want to thank you for listening to these gentlemen. Remember, if you're looking for ministerial wisdom, you go to those who have been there, done that. Thanks for listening. This has been the Senior Pastor Podcast, a production of 1801 Media Incorporated. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode.